<clears throat> All right, now here is the conundrum I find myself in. So you mock me when I tell jokes. You treat me poorly. You boo me. Some of you have prepared fruits that you bring with you. All right. So then last night, I don't tell a joke. And everybody comes up and says, where's the joke? So it's very difficult for me. So I was in a CPR class this week. And I was, uh, I was working. And I was trying to do my part. And in the middle of the, the, the lesson, the dummy started talking to me. And I leaned down, and I'm like, the dummy's talking. like, the dummy's not talking to you. And I leaned down, and said, well, they said, what's he saying? I said, I can't feel my legs. <laughs> Did you know that incorrectly is always spelled incorrectly in the dictionary? Incorrectly is always spelled incorrectly in the dictionary. Somebody tell somebody beside you what that means. They were struggling backstage with that one too. Incorrectly is always spelled incorrectly in the dictionary. All right, that's all I got. We're moving on. Right, if I have to put up a map to explain my jokes, we've got to move on. Okay. Here's what I tell people. If you're down, you're depressed, you're dealing with anxiety, lonely, whatever, read 1 Peter. 1 Peter is the most hopeful book in the New Testament. He talks about a living hope, our faith, that we are a royal priesthood, that God is blessing us, God's preparing heaven for us, that Jesus is our chief shepherd, and we're going to be rewarded for all of our faith. I mean, you read 1 Peter and you get done, you go, yes. If you're just a tad bit on the side of slothfulness, laziness, boredom, you need to read the book of James. Because James comes out fighting. He punches you in the face. And it's on purpose. Because James is by far the most pragmatic disciple in all of Scripture. He says things like this. People are arguing with him about, well, I don't have to do anything to show my faith. I mean, I have faith. I believe. I go to church. And James said, I'll tell you what. You show me your faith by what you don't do, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Mm, punch right in the face. And then he says, hmm, again, along the same lines. He said, so you've got extra food and extra clothes and somebody comes along and they say, I have no food and I have no clothes. And you say, oh, brother, I wish you well. God bless you. May you be well filled and may someone else cover you. He said, that's not Christianity. He said, Christianity works. Christianity is an action. Am I saved by what I do? No, but what I do shows that I'm saved. That's the book of James. So by the time James gets to chapter 5, he's tired. And he's obviously unloaded. He's, been, he's got a lot to say. Remember, he's the leader, and that's a weird word, but he's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Church Unawana, number one, the first church. This is where it all began. This is where the Holy Spirit fell. The church began. So they're supposed to be a role model for all the rest of the churches. And within about 20 years, they're off into some ethereal world, and they, they're not meeting people's needs. They're not being faithful to the Word of God. And so James starts punching. 
And when he gets to chapter 5, he is now in full warning mode, letting them know how dangerous it is for them to live the kind of life they're living. Now, here's the problem we have. Here's a quote I found this week, that this is how, sadly, a lot of people live. It says, stop taking swimming lessons from drowning people. Now, I want you to think about a lot of the people that you listen to. They're on TV. They're on movies. You work with them. Some of them live in your house. And you know full well they're drowning. You know where they are in their life. You know how they're struggling. And yet we look at them and go, oh my gosh, I've got to do what they're doing. i got to own what they own. I need to have what they have. And we keep taking swimming lessons from drowning people. Why would we do that? Because it's constantly put in our face. Instead of realizing, no, I need to learn from somebody who actually knows how to swim. So James writes these words. If you'll stand out of respect for God's word. We're going to look at six verses. Now he starts off, remember, he's got the gloves on. Now listen, you rich people. Okay, grab a hold of yourself. You're sitting in a church, you're listening to this. He's coming out punching. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. They have rusted away. Their corrosion will testify against you. And this is maybe the most special line here. Eat your flesh like fire. There's one you put on your fridge. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Wow, you can be seated. So there's the warning. The warning is against hoarding, the warning is about integrity, and the warning is about condemnation. But again, James does not hold back as he is putting this warning out. He's letting them know that what they're doing and how they're living is actually destroying them. Now, your first argument is, well, I'm not rich. Let me just give you some statistics, okay? We'll be brief. In Venezuela right now, the average worker in Venezuela, anybody want to guess how much they make? $7 a month. $7 a month. Most of the world, about three-fourths of the world, lives on less than a dollar a day. Now I'll ask again, who's rich? Now, we may not think about ourselves being rich. And you compare yourself to other drowning people, you may never see yourself as rich. But in the big scheme of things, the fact that we have clothes, we have food, that in itself puts us in an elite category. And most of us in the room, in some way or another, we're rich. Everybody in this room is in the top 1% of people in the world. Now, are there people at the top end of the 1%? Absolutely. 
absolutely the Kardashians and and uh, the computer the computer guys and Bezos and you're like you mean I'm in those categories you are closer to Jeff Bezos than you are to the people living in Venezuela that is the honest truth of how blessed we are and we forget that because we keep our eyes on all the drowning people and not on the right people. And so he warns, he said, all of the stuff that you've hoarded, he uses that word, all the stuff that you have hoarded, your gold, your silver, your clothes, he says, all of that, well, the moths will eat, corrosion will destroy it, and it'll burn a hole inside of you. You're like, well, shouldn't I be prepared? Of course we should be prepared. There's great wisdom in having a savings account. There's great wisdom in getting yourself out of debt. All of that is part of the plan. But the question is, what do I do with the extra blessings that God has given us? Let me tell you a story. Behind me is a picture of a soccer player from Senegal. His name is Sato Mane, I think is how you pronounce his name. I, I don't know who he is. I'm not a soccer guy, but he plays for Liverpool uh, in England, and he's one of their superstars. His salary is $10, $10 million a year, plus his shoe contracts, plus his commercials, plus all the other stuff. But he's not your average superstar. They showed a picture of him walking into the locker room one day, and he's got an old iPhone. It's older than mine, and it's all cracked and beat up. And the other players were making fun of him. They're like, "What? you're worth tens of millions of dollars. You can buy a new phone. This is what he said. Why would I want ten Ferraris? This is a quote. Why would I want 20 diamond watches and two jet planes? What would that do for the world? There's a question very few people ask. I starved. I worked in the fields. I played barefoot. I didn't get to go to school. Now I can help people. I prefer to build schools and give poor people food and clothing. I have built schools and sports stadiums. We provide clothes, shoes, and food for people in extreme poverty. In addition, I give 70 euros a month to all people from a very poor Singalese region in order to contribute to their family economy. I do not need to display my luxury. Oh, that we had some people that thought that way. Oh, that we had more people that thought that way. You hear people all the time. You hear athletes. You hear politicians. Oh, I grew up on a poor, poor, poor side of town while they're living in 12 mansions and driving 12 new cars. And it's like somewhere along the line, you forgot. You forgot what life is really about. And I loved his question when he said, how would me living in luxury help the world? See, I'm not sure a lot of people ask that question even in the church. And so I want to ask you some really hard questions today. I, I, was, I was doing some writing the other day, and, and in my writing, I, I ask a question really for myself, but I'll share it with you because you should hurt as much as me. Um, what would it take for me to have to really live by faith? What would it take to get Joe to have to trust God? And then I wrote this line, how much would I have to give away before I would totally be dependent on God? And I think most of us are a long way from that. Now, I'm not saying 
that we haven't been there. Some of you have been through very difficult times. Maybe you've been through a divorce. Maybe you've lost everything in a business. You know what it's like to be at the bottom. But most of us have figured out how to dig out, climb out, how to move forward. I ask the question today, how much would you have to give away before you would actually have to do what the Bible says and live by faith and trust God? My answer to that would probably be a whole lot. Because we continue to look to what? To our own gold, our own silver, all the things that we've been hoarding. Amos 6.1. You want another prophet that's pragmatic? Amos brings it. Woe to you who are complacent. The word is ease. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. You notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Woe to you who are living comfortable lives because judgment will come. People come and say, oh, you're the man, you're the man, and you've got this and you've got that and you're so blessed. And we forget that the accountability of all of that could be asked, God could ask for all that back tonight. So I ask you, what would it take and how much would you have to give away so that you truly would have to trust God for your daily needs. That's just a thought, okay? That's just a a question that I'm asking myself right now. What does it look like to not be a hoarder? Because I think most Americans or hoarders in some sense. And listen, we grew up in different times. My grandmother, we used to make fun of her, God bless her, but she grew up in the Depression. And so she would iron the aluminum foil. She used to drive me crazy. I'd be like, Grandma, I'll buy you a new roll of aluminum foil. But you did not waste it. You used it and used it. She would wash the aluminum foil. She would drive me crazy. But she grew up in an era when you didn't know if there would be more. And there's so many Americans that live that way today. It's like, how much do I put in a stockpile just in case God doesn't show up tomorrow? When do we actually learn to trust him? Well, then the second issue, the second warning James has is about integrity. Now, this is really tough because he's writing to whom? The church. And he's writing to the church in Jerusalem. Right? He's writing to the church that's supposed to be a role model for all these other churches. And their integrity's off. He said that the workers are screaming to God because you've not been taking care of them. Not only are you underpaying the people that are working for you, but you're not even paying them on time. These people that are working day to day, you're you're not even taking care of them and you're finding ways to cheat them. Chuck Swindoll said integrity is who you are when no one's looking. See, I can bluff you. You can bluff me. But you can't bluff God. He knows what's in your head. He knows what's in your heart. He knows whether you've been true to him or not. And yet how often do we lack that integrity that really we struggle at night to sleep because we know this is not right. We should have done this and this didn't get taken care of. Proverbs 10.9 says, Whoever walks in integrity will walk securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. See, You can live securely or you'll be found out. Now listen, sometimes you get found out here. Sometimes you don't get found out till later. But sooner or later, you get found out. 
And some of you are here, you're like, man, listen, I've been a crook for 40 years. Nobody's caught me yet. Not yet. But if you don't get caught in this side, you'll get caught on the next side. And that's when it really gets bad. And James' warning is about their own integrity. He said, you guys aren't even real to yourself. He said, forget about being real to God. You're not even being real and integrous to yourself and to your own family. You're not even being honest with your your own government. You're not even treating your own workers right. And you wonder why God's angry at you? All right, so they got a hoarding problem. The hoarding problem leads to an integrity problem. And then the integrity problem leads them to a condemnation problem. Well, what is the condemnation? He said, you live in self-indulgence. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'll be careful because I think, to some degree, every American lives in self-indulgence. Now, maybe not if we're in, you know, the slums somewhere. Maybe not if we're uh, in the Appalachian Mountains somewhere. Maybe this could not be said. But I think most of the people that are listening to my voice today, uh, some way or another, we live fairly in self-indulgent life. We, we're able to do what we want to do to some extent or the other. We may live, maybe your restaurant's a little higher than my restaurant, but we all can do pretty much what we want to do. And he said, your self-indulgent choices, not putting God first and not taking care of other people, you have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. Okay. So you're preparing yourself to be slaughtered. Now you understand, we feed the turkey, we feed the chickens, we feed the cows. You know, the, tur- the turkeys are all excited. Why are we getting extra feed right now? Isn't this great? They don't know that Wednesday night or Thursday morning they're going to be in my oven. They just know they're getting extra food right now. James said in this process of hoarding and lack of integrity, you lead yourself to your own demise because you've not put God first and you've not put other people first. Now, let's do a little animal fun here, all right? We've got we've got some we've got some animal pictures, all right? I want to show you. Uh, you say, "Well, I'm not sure. How do I do this because everybody around me is a hoarder. Everybody around me is selfish. Everybody I know cheats. Everybody I know has a lack of integrity." All right, here's a picture of an an eagle. Anybody know what's on top? That's a crow. The black crow, this is interesting, the black crow is the only bird that will challenge a bald eagle. He's too dumb? I don't know. But the, the black crow is the only animal that will challenge a bald eagle. Now the bald eagle has a lot of options here. He could flip this bird. He could eat this bird. He could do a lot of things with this bird. You know what a bald eagle does when a crow gets on his back? Bald eagle starts flying. And the bald eagle flies so high because God has designed him so well, he puts the crow in an area where the crow can't breathe. There's no oxygen for the crow. And the eagle gets high enough that the crow can't breathe. The crow leaves and flies away, and the eagle just keeps on soaring. Guys, that's what we've been called to do. I can't help it if everybody around you is a thief. I can't even help it if other people in the church or other Christians are thieves. I can't help it if they're hoarders. You and I have got to figure out how to be an eagle and soar above that. 
All right. One more verse. Romans 8.1. It says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So maybe you've messed up all this. The good news is, when you accept Jesus Christ, all this is forgiven and forgotten. Do I need to change? Yes, that's part of the whole package. You're saying, I'm going to start living the way Jesus wants me to live. So if you're watching online, there's a button. I have decided. If you're here in the room, you come over here, Palm Bay, there's a sign that says, Decision. You say, I, I need to talk to somebody. I need to get my life right. My life has been about hoarding, and this hoarding is not going to get me anywhere. Spent my life cheating people. I need to get some things fixed because I do not want to see myself slaughtered. I don't want to lead myself to slaughter. I want to live a victorious life in Christ. I'll finish with this. This is a picture of a gentleman in Colorado, and I'm in no way promoting the lottery. In fact, I'm quite against the lottery um, for lots of reasons, but this isn't the time for that. Uh, but this guy won the Colorado lottery, hundreds of millions of dollars, and you get a year to claim the prize. He showed up three days late. Guess what you get? Nothing. Tragically, if you think back to the story of Noah during the flood, there were so many people that had a chance to get on that boat. But the door was closed. Anybody remember who closed the door? God did. The door was too big to be closed. God closed the door. Once the door was closed... Nobody else could get on. They were a second late. They were a minute late. They were 30 minutes late. Didn't matter. If you were late, you were late. And there's so many people have heard the gospel, know about Jesus, know what they need to do, and still sit still. Some of you need to get out of bed and hit a button and get a hold of somebody and get going. Some of you in this room, today is the day. James is warning us there is a time to get your life together, and today's that day. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we finish, that you would open our hearts. Every one of us struggles. It doesn't matter whether we're from 500 years ago or 5,000 years ago. It doesn't matter whether there's a lot or a little. Mankind has a way of just hoarding and holding on. And Lord, today we want to learn to let go so we can trust you and find out what an incredible God you really are. Lord, those who need to accept you, that this would be the day they would delay no more. Only you can move people's hearts, God. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you do just that in Jesus' name?